What's up, everybody? My name's Carl Hewlett, and this is the Better Cinematographer Podcast, episode number two. We did it. We managed to so far create a weekly podcast, even though it's only two weeks in a row. But still, it's weekly. On this episode of the show, we have the best-dressed gaffer himself, Simon Battensby. Simon's a great friend of mine, and more often than not, he is also my go-to gaffer. I've worked on a bunch of stuff with Simon, from short films to commercials to music videos. It was really cool to be able to sit down with him and just ask him questions and talk about the DOP-gaffer relationship and how he likes to work, based on our experience working together as well as his experience working with other cinematographers. All right, I'm going to stop gassing on. This is the Better Cinematographer podcast. Episode number two, interview with Simon Battensby. Simon, thank you very much for coming on the show, mate. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Let's just start from the beginning. Talk about what you do and how you kind of got there, how you ended up doing that. Okay, well, I'm a gaffer, which means I'm head of the lighting department. And um, I'm typically called by DOPs or cinematographers, if you're in the States. I'm asked to come on board and help them with the lighting, either at the planning stage where we have to hire in lights if it's a big shoot or um, if it's a small low budget music video or whatever we just turn up with some lights and light it according to what they want so that's the that's the job there's more to it than that but that's mm-hmm. the basis of it originally I was a photographer for about 25 years and I was doing advertising and still life products and high-end photography to be honest I kind of got bored with it you know after that was a long time to spend in the industry I then I switched to doing library photography for Getty Images spent five years doing that and again kind of got bored with it and eventually thought I've got to do something else and luckily it was around about the time of the Olympics in London and a friend of mine had a gig there doing the health and safety believe it or not for the London Olympics uh, no accidents they did well so just get in there when I found out that he wasn't actually going to do anything I said look you really need some photographs and video something just to prove that you've done this because it's a great thing for your company and he said okay well make me a video in those days I had a Canon 5D Mark II and it could do video. So I shot some video and uh, really enjoyed it and uh, thought this is this is something I should do. But I realized pretty quickly that you can't be a one-man videography band in the way that you can be a one-man band photography outfit because the sound and the lighting and da-da-da, it's, it's way more complex. So I thought I need to get on on set really and just see how to do this. The easiest way really was to go on board as, as um, a gaffer or as a lighting guy just see how other people lit stuff and work along those lines. The idea originally was to become a DOP, but I actually found I enjoyed gaffing a lot, so it seemed like a logical thing to stick with it because I had 25 years of lighting experience from stills. So that was the that was the difficult route, mm-hmm. <laughs> or the easy route into um, doing what I do. As a photographer, were you lighting with continuous lighting? No, it was pretty much all flash. The thing about photography is very often it's sort of spontaneous stuff models jumping around and people throwing buckets of water around the place and it's just kind of catching the instant so flash is the way to go for that sort of thing yeah we just started off with strobe units back in the day um, huge gigantic floor mounted flash units and then it kind of the technology moved on and flashes got smaller and lighter yeah it's all about freezing the instant really so and also photographers don't particularly want things out of focus they they normally go for big depth of field Mm -hmm. so we tend to shoot sort of f8 f11 f16 
quite large depths of fields quite often so that everything's in focus from front to back because if a model's running around you know it's hard to focus on them obviously back in the day it was all manual focus there was no autofocus now the cameras are way better so you could probably get away with you know lower f-stops but that's how we did it so you need huge instantaneous flashes of light to just catch all that and it was a bit of a learning curve moving away from that and going into continuous lighting for for film and i was just horrified that everyone was shooting at f2.8 or <laughs> f1.4 <laughs> how on earth is that going to be in focus but obviously that's where the camera assistants come in and first acs do a wonderful job of focus pulling yeah, and actors have to hit their marks that's the other thing very yeah. important and if they don't that take doesn't get used because they're out of focus and that's the end of it. Let's just talk about pre-production first, or at least uh-huh. like the beginning part of being on a job. So maybe if you're not too involved in pre-production, but at least you've got a call from me or another DP, what's the first thing that you kind of, the first question you ask or the first <laughs> what, thing? What's the budget? <laughs> <laughs> that's the first question. Do I want to do this? Yeah. Um, okay. So maybe once you've confirmed you're, yeah. you're happy. Like I what? mean, joking aside, the budget is a huge part of it because obviously if it's a low budget short film or indie feature, that will make a big difference to choices of what lighting you use. So we all love a big budget, but these days you've got to work with what you're given. Typically it's things like, send me the script. Are there any hidden pitfalls in the script like she walks up the steps and turns on the football stadium lights or something like that you know <laughs> yeah. believe it or not I have seen something similar to that on the, on the script so um, yeah you've got to read through the script and go for all the uh, scenes and see where, where there's any lighting problems in the um, in the script yeah that's that's the first thing I'd probably do and then tend to talk moods really next don't we we sort of say you know we want it in the style of so-and-so or it's colour, but it's going to have a black and white feel to it. So all the colours are going to be really drained out or muted. So we'll make decisions about how we're going to achieve that. That's generally the sort of thing. And also, you know, really the, the biggest thing, I suppose, is please give me a bit of time beforehand to prep. Because, you know, I've been pulled on features a week before they start rolling. And it's just crazy because you're chasing your tail trying to get everything organised in that time. And a month is much, much nicer <laughs> to get organised. So that would be my main thing. Some more time. More, more time, time. More time, more money. Yeah. I think that's, that's what we all want, yeah. More time, more money, and a bigger trailer, please. Yeah. Nice. I send you references, visual references, that the director sends me, or I send you the references that I find after talking with the director. I guess the question is, is that useful to you, or do you feel like that kind of pigeonholes you a bit in terms of like what? It's doable or is it helpful i find personally being sent references visual references before the shoot is incredibly useful because it saves so much time because you know when someone says i want it soft lighting and then they send you something with really looks like the third man really hard shadows everywhere you think okay so it's not so much that they'd like it's more the tonality or the whatever and so if you have a visual reference in front of you that is much easier and you can say right i can give you that look by using this particular tool set or if I tweak it, you can get that look. Uh, that is just, yeah, very, very helpful and speeds up a lot. Often directors, they fall in love with a particular style, often based on how the film turned out rather than really what the style is. So you've got to, you've got to kind of read between the lines a little bit when they say they want a sort of certain look. You've got to think, well, it's a horror film. Why do we want soft romantic lighting? You know, are you quite sure that's what you want? And you can often have a conversation with them and steer them in a direction that possibly works better. But I mean, I would never tell a director what to do that's not my position but having a conversation or having some references to talk about that will definitely speed things up and get everyone on the same page 
often, at least when we've worked together, I'll try and have at least I send you my kind of idea of how I think we could do it. And then most of the time you come back with a, a more efficient, <laughs> a more efficient way of doing it, which is great because I, I'm not a gaffer. Like it's not my job to sure. have the knowledge that you do. It's all about saving time and money, really. There's never enough time. That's the biggest thing with with lighting. There's, it's very rare that we get the luxury of a, a pre-light on on the jobs that I do on the big productions. Yeah, great. They can be here a week before, and you know, or two weeks before, or whatever it is, and wire everything up lucky guys but no we we tend to kind of get in there and have to crash it out in a couple of hours and then by that stage makeup's finished and hair's ready and costume's ready and so they want to get going and film something so um i tend to do broad brushstrokes really on my lighting get up something that i think will almost certainly work and then we'll do a bit bit of blocking see where the actors are going to move in the space to make sure we've got that covered and then there'll be sort of maybe 20 minutes of finessing but yeah, the pace we work at is pretty frantic. So <laughs> usually that has to that has to do it. And so you have to be sort of thinking ahead, really. Occasionally I'll get asked to do something, say we're in a domestic house, typically that's usually where we work. And they'll say, can you do a nighttime scene here? And I'll sort of say, well, I could do, but the sun's on that side of the building in the morning and you scheduled it for the morning. So could we not maybe switch around and shoot something that's supposed to be daytime? on the daytime side of the building and then do the night at night because blacking out houses domestic houses especially ones where you're not allowed to drill in the walls because people live there and they get upset because they don't understand how film crews work that is quite a challenge often you can waste hours and hours blacking out a huge tent to put a street lamp kind of effect outside whereas you could just wait until dusk and then one light outside bosh it, it just everything's far more efficient to do it that way so i'll try and kind of give my input and say well maybe we could think about doing it in this this way around but even then it doesn't always work because actor availability or whatever they've got to go at three o'clock and so you can't shoot them at six you know there's all that stuff goes on try and get it broad brush strokes and then also have a plan b <laughs> just in case yeah uh, you need more level or whatever do you think you have a particular style or is, is how you light always driven by the DP? Yeah, I, I try not to have a style because you've got to be versatile because we might be doing a music video one week or a murder mystery the next and then a cookery program or you know all sorts. So no, there's no point in having a style. Just listen to what the DP is asking for and try and deliver that as quickly and efficiently as you can. That's that's really the, the, the driver for my job. As far as being on set and working with a DP, how do you like to work? Because for example, the shoot that we did just recently you were there before me and kind of were already going before I'd even seen you which is great for me because then I can talk to the director and quickly clue up the camera team I mean is that how you work with everyone or is that how we've kind of worked or is it Uh, job dependent try to I mean that I try to that that, that's the reason really for trying to either go on a recce beforehand or um, getting some references before so you 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 know that the first scene is going to be I don't know girl in the bedroom moonlight coming through the window bedside light on a probably on a dimmer because you might have to play with the levels something like that you can you can crack on with it pretty quickly there's also a bit of an advantage actually arriving before most of the crew are there because or actors and so forth because there's more room to move in the house and often you're tripping over people trying to get a cable laid or whatever so getting on with it early is is a good way to go and also to say there's there's never enough time i mean you know can easily take two hours to light a bedroom on a simple scene if you especially if you've got a blackout and have moonlight coming through and it's daytime little things like 
say you're shooting in a domestic house and they want a first floor bedroom and then you've got to get moonlight coming through from a high angle because it's whatever it's middle of the night so you've got to think well to, to rig all that i need to get my light up to the first floor and then it's got to be up higher than that still so it's shining down at a steep angle to hit the girl's face on the pillow or whatever so you could think well how am i going to get that light 25 feet in the air and it's a windy day so it's going to be swaying so the moon doesn't move around like that so all these things you've got to think about mm, okay i better have a bit of rope on standby to lash it down or all that sort of stuff so try and try and um pre-visualize how it's going to work because you could end up uh, getting into a nasty place if you don't really think it through beforehand we were talking about sparks earlier what do you expect from your team the thing about sparks is you get ones who are very keen and ones who are very keen but are on their phones all day long i don't quite see how that works because you're there to learn and just keeping your eyes open you can learn so much just by watching not necessarily what the other people are doing in your department but looking at camera thinking oh right so they're going to make a a way of moving the camera and they haven't got a dolly but they're going to use that kitchen worktop and put a couple of slippery rags on there or whatever or sponges and slide it along the worktop surface and simple things like that it's all it's all about um, different ways of, of doing stuff i just find it surprising that so many sparks spend half the day on facebook and thinking well are you not enjoying being here do you not want to actually learn more i try out lots of sparks i do they're all lovely and keen but not necessarily focused on the job and i think that's something that a lot of them could improve on so i have a a, a core team of sparks i do use and they're very very good and they are proactive so for instance we'll be shooting and they'll sort of have done their job that i've asked them to do and then one of them will come up to me and say, have you noticed that the sun's bouncing off that car windscreen over there and we've got an extra highlight that's getting the talent's hair or something which we didn't have before? Do you want me to throw a black cloth over that car windscreen? And that's the sort of thing is absolute gold dust because, yes, I do, because I've got 25 other things to do and I may have not have spotted that that's what was happening. I actually give that story because that, that happened in real life, in fact. And we were on a shoot and um, it was one of the crew's cars and we hadn't got any black cloth left because we'd had to black out so much of the house. So the spark said, no problem, I'll just open the bonnet. And so the bonnet was opened and that took out the reflection from the windscreen. And I thought, well, that's genius. I'll definitely use you again because that was just a nice thinking on your feet kind of thing. So, yeah, that's that's how I like my sparks to be. And I, I tend to have one, two, three in the team according to how big the production is. And, yeah, delegate them, give them very simple jobs, delegate, right? You're putting a light there, you're putting a half CTO filter on it, run the cable from the kitchen window across the patio to the whatever make sure all the connections are covered in plastic if it starts raining da 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 put a put a you know rcd uh, on it in case it trips so that's the sort of thing i tend to give one spark and then a different one i'll say right can you rig that softbox up there or whatever so just split them up and get them on different jobs and when they've finished they come back for more and that, that kind of works best i find we've all we're all working for the director one way or another right so we're all mm. executing what they want sometimes we they value our aesthetic or our ideas and we can put those out and kind of work with the director and Mm -hmm. sometimes they're like they know what they want and you just have to create the look that they want when it comes to you and a dp if for example i'm like okay simon i want to put that light there like that i want that like that and want this like this is that fun to you or is that are you just like well okay but you know, I'm just I'm just doing what you're telling me to do. You're not using your experience. I'm just using you as a person to do a job. 
Right, I see what you're saying. Um, I, I don't have an issue taking orders from people because at the end of the day, there's a hierarchy in the in the business and the DOP is above the gaffer and that's absolutely fine by me. Some uh, DPs will be very specific and say, right, I want a Kino here with half blue on it and da 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 and very specific. Others are much more kind of general, like this is a romantic evening, a couple are cuddling on the sofa, can you give me a nice soft light from wherever? And And so that's, I suppose you could call that more creative perhaps. But again, you know, I don't think people understand outside the business how fast the whole thing moves. Sometimes it's nice to get a bit of direction because they can say things like, okay, she's at the basin cleaning her teeth in the bathroom. So all we're going to see is her face close up, a close up of the plug hole, toothpaste being spat down it or whatever, or toothbrush under the tap, and then cut to her flicking off the bathroom light switch. So that's great if I'm told that because then I'd think, well, okay, I don't need to finesse the whole bathroom. I can just do those three areas, her face, the tap running and the light switch. So that can often speed things up a lot because you, you haven't got to worry about reflections because they'll be framed out. So that's quite a useful thing. If you've got more time and, you and you know, you can light the whole space, that can be quite nice as well because then the actor can move around in that space and find things to interact with. There, there tends to be two two sort of ways of, of lighting on films, either the very naturalistic sort of school where it, you just light a whole room softly and um, the actor can move anywhere in it and you haven't really got to worry about the exposure varying too much because it's all kind of soft and even and the actor just uses the space. And some directors like to work like that and especially shooting 360 where the camera can look in any direction at any one time. It's a bit more of a challenge for gaffers because then you can't have any light stands in the shot so pretty much everything's got to be hung from the ceiling or on auto poles across the room. Or practicals. Or using practicals, (laughs) yeah. So that's kind of more of a challenge. Again, it comes back to, you know, if, if you're a, a, a low-budget film crew, you're not allowed to drill holes in walls and so forth, whereas on a bigger production, I've seen them rip down ceilings and put stuff up there and then replaster the whole room afterwards, you know, because the person who lives there is being paid 10 grand a week for their house and they go to Spain for a holiday while they're filming, you know, and, and they, they're going to get a lovely house back at the end of it. The, those are the challenges. Uh, so, sorry, I'm drifting off the point. No, no, it's um, fine. So either very naturalistic... Or the other thing I, I love to hear in, in a description, you know, we're doing a noir sort of film. And I think, oh, great, dramatic lighting, shadows, lovely, embrace the darkness. And that's great for me because then you can do some sort of dramatic sort of effects and lots of things like lighting cues. So someone walks into a kitchen and opens a fridge and you get that kind of golden light coming out of the fridge and we sort of rig all that stuff beforehand. That tends to be something I enjoy a lot because it's kind of my sort of technical background, I suppose. I enjoy that kind of rigging side of it. So, yeah, you know, different strokes for different folks, different days, and, um, yeah. I mean, because the, the base of that question, even though what you said was super useful, was, like, was about... <laughs> just no, randomly it talking. Great. No, it's great, because I'm still finding it interesting, <laughs> but, you know, I was asking about... Everyone else at home is like... <sighs> no, no, so I think a lot of people are like this one. But, yeah, the, you know, I was essentially asking, kind of, you said it anyway, but... Um, you said, sorry, you said, do you about like being, when DOPs give you... Where they kind of just direction. delegate all they want, like a collaborative thing. And you answered that. You basically, because yeah. you, you said it's kind of, you're, you're happy that, to do either way. You well, know? I find often, and this is not a, a dig or anything, but often I find someone say, I need this effect. How can we do it? And I'll say, well, I could go this way, which would take about an hour, or I could do it that way, which would take about 15 minutes. And, well, you know the answer, don't you? They always go for the... 15 <laughs> the, minutes the quick, like, Because they have to, because it's just... The producers just have unrealistic schedules and we're told to shoot 5, 10, 20, whatever it is, pages a day. Well, never 20, but a lot of pages in a day. 
you just have to be really on it you know, and, and, and get things done quickly. And what could be useful as well is uh, talking about these low budget things. If you can be told in advance what rooms are being shot at what times, while they're, you, you, you get there and while they're doing makeup and hair, you light the first room and then leave a spark in there to delegate. So if the director says, oh, can we get rid of that reflection on that TV or whatever, the spark can just adjust the light slightly and get rid of that. And then in the meantime, myself and another spark will be working in the second room to light, I don't know, the dinner party scene. Or then, so when they move on to that, we'll move on to the third room and we'll be lighting the, the bedroom scene or whatever. So that that's quite a, a productive way of working. But again, if you can try and tie that in with the scheduling so that you're not fighting natural light too much, that makes a big difference. Really, really can make a huge difference the amount of time you spend on stuff. I tend to sort of speak up, my, speak my mind more now. But I do remember we did a, a shoot once and um, the DOP wanted this um, huge black tent making outside one of the living room windows because he wanted to show a sort of um, a street light effect. So we had a sodium coloured light shining in through this window. And we spent so long actually trying to black out this big tent, which was like, a, it was about four, four 12 by 12 black frames all, all tied together, like a huge black cube outside the window with this light shining through. And then um, the wind got up. So everything was sort of rocking and rolling because we hadn't got very heavy stands, which on a sandbag it and stuff. So then we roped it all down and da 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 da. And finally, we actually were ready to shoot and it was dark. <laughs> so I thought we just spent nearly three hours doing this and we could have just actually done something else and waited and it would have been the same. In fact, it would have been better actually because you would have seen um, other street lights on in the distance looking through the window rather than just our one big orange one. So now nowadays, I would probably say, do you know what? We can save ourselves a lot of time and effort if we reschedule that again that's something you know you need to read the script two weeks earlier and look through and if you can get hold of the um lady or guy doing the um scheduling say look can we possibly put the night scenes towards the ends of the days and the dawn scenes or daytime scenes during daylight hours that that will help a lot just for everyone's sanity really (laughs) this is all like this is super useful is this good good i hope so definitely useful to me do you work much with the production designers i do sometimes work with production designers there's a couple who i really recommend who are great the main request i have is get me involved early so i can talk to them about how we're going to design lighting into the set if there's a set build or if if we need to get um, props to dress a house can i be involved early so i can help them with the choices of lights especially practicals which are lights that are going to appear in the shot so yeah that's a pretty pretty large part of the um production design side of things actually because we've had shots where we're you know we're in a spaceship or something and that's the classic one in space you don't get kind of like table lamps on yeah. <laughs> on coffee tables in spaceships so you need to build in illuminated panels in all the walls and so forth in the spaceship so um yeah that's that's obviously a crucial one to, to get involved in i think production designers do a fantastic job they're really unsung heroes because they can totally change a space really important um, to have good ones on you on you production the other thing tiny okay little plea to production designers if you're sourcing pictures to put on the walls could you please take the glass out of the frame before you hang the pictures on the walls because we're forever trying to get rid of reflections on framed pictures so if you take the glass out beforehand major plus listen up production designers (laughs) simon has spoken but the other thing is is obviously uh, the old neck curtains trick again makes a huge difference just softening the light 
hiding stuff outside windows. Um, the other thing we can do, we can put Opal Diffusion up, which is a, a terrific filter that you can just hang outside windows, and it makes everything go out of focus. So if you use like a quarter or an eighth Opal, you can see that there are still cars and trees out there, but you can't see what exactly they are. Yeah, so it's a really useful trick to just you know stick that over your windows, especially if you're shooting in a environment where you can't necessarily control things too carefully to take things back a little bit to working on set with the dp Mm -hmm. do you like do you talk in terms of light level or do you like to kind of talk in terms of the look because i i break out the light meter Mm. and i know you can use one but i've never seen you with one am i missing that or do you do use meters on other jobs we light stuff and i'll go in and just check and then i know like yeah or no we need more or less level but do you ever kind of with other dps are they ever like, Simon, I need this much from this light and this much from this light? Do you ever work like that technical in terms of level or is it always just like putting things out, seeing how it feels and then adjusting from there? Hmm, interesting question. It tends to be, I know what my lights are going to give me. So I know a Kino will give you F4 in a domestic interior. If you diffuse it, you might lose half a stop or whatever. But I do use light meters, not very much, to be honest. I tend to wait till the camera's up and then look at the monitor and the waveform monitor because then you can see what's clipping and what's not and whether your skin tones are too low. The modern cameras are terrific now for, for level in terms of 12-stop dynamic range or whatever, providing you know you keep the shadows slightly filled. You shouldn't get too much noise in, on them. That, that has been a huge change in the industry from shooting on film at 200 ASA to modern cameras at 800 or 1600 ASA. Sorry, show my age. ASA. ISO. That's uh, it's all moved on. ASA was American Standards Association. Ah, no, see, I didn't yeah. even know the yeah. initials. ISO know. is International Standards Organization, maybe. Mate, you tell I'm, me. I'm pretty sure that's what ISO is. So I do use meters occasionally. I tend to do it by eye more, more and more because it's just quicker. Mm-hmm. And then check the monitor, obviously, to see where levels are at. If you need to boost stuff, then change out a light for a stronger one or dim up, dim down, stuff like that, or change the diffusion. So then what happens, how would you go about light for a pre-light if there's no camera there? Because that's, that's kind of what I like about me, like a light meter. Is yeah, I could pretty then, much light a scene without the camera there. Yeah, yeah. Then, then, then I would use my meter all the time. Yeah, yeah. So you wouldn't just kind of wing it? No, then. no, no, yeah. no. I'd, 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 try and, I'd try and go for a fairly solid F4 across the set, really. But hopefully on the pre-light, you know, I've been told that it's moonlight or it's whatever we're trying to achieve. So I'll have a rough idea. You're not often asked to do anything above f4 really although interestingly interestingly i have uh, a little job coming up where we're filming uh, dogs in a room set live action and i've been thinking about that recently and although i haven't been asked for um highlight levels i'm just suddenly thinking we're going to have to have fairly good focus on this because obviously the dog runs off they're unpredictable and you know are we going to be able to pull focus on a dog running around the place or is it better just to shoot everything at five six or f8 so I need to have a discussion with the uh, powers that be on that one and maybe we get some bigger lights in because uh, we might well need a a higher level. But fundamentally, you know, most DPs want to shoot wide open because they like that cinematic, out-of-focus background. They don't want a a deep f-stop because um, everything, all the boring stuff in the background will be in focus and and they like that soft look, so that's it. All right, thank you very much, Sai. My pleasure. Take care. Apologies for the somewhat abrupt ending to that conversation. We had to re-record that episode after about half an hour of talking due to some technical bullshit that I don't really even know why or what happened. But anyway, 
we had to re-record it and that's kind of why it ends the way it does so i apologize for that but hopefully the content of the conversation was interesting and if it wasn't i hope at the very least it was just entertaining and it helped you kill half an hour of your day on the next episode of the show i have an interview with director vasilisa forbes she does a lot of content and music videos that's a really interesting conversation we try to film it as well so depending on how much time i have there will be video of that I foolishly brought my dog Lily to that interview thinking it would make for a more relaxed vibe but instead she just fucking ransacked the place. You'll either be able to watch that on YouTube or directly at thebettercinematographerpodcast.com With that said, I just quickly want to say that this is probably, I'm probably going to make these bi-weekly because it's a lot of work and time just to do one episode and to get one a week consistently is going to be very difficult I don't want to make a promise that I can't keep. So right now, I'm going to say these are going to be bi-weekly episodes. So the next episode will be out in two weeks' time. It won't be next week. Subscribe and you'll get notified as soon as that next episode comes out. All right, that's it. Bye.